0: Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, Healthcare providers and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger.
1: Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Today is August 5th, 2015. Our guest today is Donna Jackson Nakazawa. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And we're going to be talking about her brand new book that just came out called Childhood Disrupted. It's about how your biography can become your biology and then how you can heal from that. Donna is an award-winning science journalist, a public speaker, and also the author of a book called The Last Best Cure, in which she chronicled her year-long journey to health This book that we'll be discussing, Childhood Disrupted, was born through her own search to better understand the role her own childhood adversity played in her chronic health issues that she faced as an adult. Very interesting topic. We're all going to just love talking with Donna. So let me bring Donna onto our show now. Hi Donna, thanks so much for joining us.
2: So great to be here with you. Thank you for having me.
1: I always start my show out by asking my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Obviously, um, considering the fact that you wrote the book, Childhood Disrupted, and you had your own issues, that's probably how this came about, but why did you decide to become a science journalist
2: Well, that's a great question, and um, I've thought a lot about that over the years. When I was a child, um, I was really drawn to writing, and we had um, a medical crisis in our family. My father, when I was 12, he went into the hospital for routine surgery, and he died due to a medical error. And I started to fill a journal at that time
1: um, about
2: the different feelings that I had, and I Mm -hmm. felt that somehow somebody ought to have stopped this terrible tragedy. And, of course, I missed my dad, you know, more than anything. Oh, I bet. And my childhood really kind of ended at that moment. And I think that I I began writing, and I ended up writing poetry and short stories and, and journalism articles. I became a journalist, um, and a writer, mm-hmm. but I was always looking to uncover and discover how we can prevent illness and how we can heal, and I'm pretty sure it goes back to that early desire to have somehow saved my father's life, and and now I want to save everyone's life. I guess that's, that's uh, the long and the short of it.
1: Well, I have a big smile on my face on that one.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what um, um, what gave you the idea to write your book? Um, you know, any specifics that you could share with us? Well, um, sure. You, authors, uh-huh. you know, you you'll, you'll get the idea for a title, but. Um, your writing style is very interesting, and in how you give a lot of examples in your book of, of you know, real life situations.
2: Well, sure. So, um, as a science journalist, um, I look at the last three books that I've written, including Childhood Disrupted, almost almost as a trilogy, because um, in 2008 I wrote a book called The Autoimmune Epidemic. And I wrote that book to uncover the relationship between environmental chemicals and triggers, our 21st century diet, and stress, and how these were all acting as toxins on the immune system, causing a doubling and tripling rate of autoimmune disease, particularly in women. So I spent three or four years researching and writing that book and in hopes of kind of changing the national dialogue about the rising rates of autoimmune disease, why this was happening, and what we could do about it. In writing that book, I felt that I underreported on the relationship between stress as a toxin to the immune system and the growing body of research in what we know as psychoneuroimmunology, the relationship between our psychological state of mind our brain, and the inflammatory response in the body. So around that time, I went on a one-year quest working with some physicians at Hopkins and a group of practitioners to see if I could change my own physical health by working with the brain-body connection, and that was the last best cure. So I really spent a decade investigating that intersection between immunology, neuroscience, and what I think of as the deepest inner workings of the human heart. And as I finished The Last Best Cure, I had included some information about this growing body of research connecting early emotional adversity in life to a much greater chance of having chronic adult health conditions But I felt that I really needed to explore it further. There were so many questions I had. Why are some people affected more than others? Why is this relationship between early emotional trauma and later adult chronic health conditions particularly true for women? And what was happening in a child's developing body and brain that could lead to such a direct relationship between adverse childhood experiences and adult health problems. So I began to follow the 1,500 studies that have been done on this topic, and I really wanted to lay this out for readers in a way that I hoped and and profoundly hope today will mm-hmm. give them one more possible layer of insight into their own healing journeys. And I just want to say, before anyone misunderstands me, I am in no way going to talk today about how adverse childhood experiences or ACEs are the only factor in disease. All disease is multifactorial and as someone who has spent so much time writing these books, I just want to set the groundwork for our discussion and say that mm-hmm. the, Im- the immune system is something like a barrel, I call it. I call disease and relate disease something that I call the barrel effect, just to use a simple analogy.
1: So sure.
2: if if we imagine that the immune system is like a barrel, we know that certain things will stack up in that barrel and the water level in that barrel will rise and rise until at some point for many people the immune system will spill over into disease. We know that genetics can preload that barrel We know that environmental chemicals can preload that barrel, so can Mm -hmm. infections, so can toxic stressors, long-term chronic stressors, and, of course, viruses, and all of these things cause that level of water to rise and rise. Well, having suffered early life adversity is one more thing that can cause that barrel to be half full as we start out in life, and so it makes sense that it's a factor in this equation of what will cause some people to be more likely to develop chronic disease in adulthood. It's one more thing in the barrel. It's multifactorial.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Why are some peop- people affected more than others? Were you able well, to answer what, that question through well, your yes.
2: research? Mm-hmm. And so I devote an entire chapter to that, um, and it's called Why Do Some Suffer More Than Others? And in fact, you know, we all want to know why are some people who actually have very tough childhoods, why do they emerge somewhat unscathed? And why do other mm-hmm. people, you know, um, who have very little difficulty still grow up to have high rates of disease. We all know examples of people who didn't have childhood adversity and they still grow up and they have chronic health conditions. So some people, so let's first talk about what happens in a child's developing body and what some of these statistics are that relate early trauma and adversity to later health problems. Great. And then we can talk about why, you know, some more than others. Um, So, for instance, researchers asked 17,000 individuals about their childhood experiences and then they related those childhood experiences to their adult health records. And some of the findings were really quite astonishing. For instance, for each category of early adversity a woman had suffered, she was 20% more likely to end up hospitalized with an autoimmune disease as an adult. So um, other statistics are that if we have a history of three or more categories of early adversity, we are much more likely to develop heart conditions, diabetes, not only autoimmune disease, but a range of other disorders, four or more categories of adverse childhood experiences is related to a much higher risk of cancer, and so on. So the question is, you know, why is this relationship occurring, what is happening? And it turns out that these categories of adversity, which we can go into, they change the architecture of the developing brain, affecting the expression of genes that control our stress hormone output. And that in turn triggers an overreactive inflammatory stress response for life, which, makes sense, would predispose a child to adult disease. So repeat that one more
1: time for the listeners, because it's a very important fact.
2: Yes. So when someone has suffered from different categories of childhood adversity, it changes the architecture of the developing brain, and it affects the expression of genes, that should Mm -hmm. be regulating our stress hormone response. So in other words, right. So chronic stress in childhood creates epigenetic changes that change the way in which a child's genes will oversee the stress response. So you might think of it this way, just to use an analogy,
1: Okay. So our
2: genes aren't fixed. They change over time. You might imagine them to be something like flower petals that open, and mm-hmm. and as they open, our genes are able to express fully. Well, when a child is facing chronic unpredictable stress, what happens is that some of the petals on this flower are unable to open, and the gene is unable to do its function properly. So what that means when kids undergo chronic unpredictable stress and they undergo gene methylation, which is this process where the flower petals don't open in the way that they should, Mm
1: -hmm. it Mm -hmm.
2: hampers the genes that should oversee a proper stress response for life it sets the stress response on high, kind of like a dial turning on a a hose. And that Mm -hmm, hose, mm -hmm. which is putting out chronic inflammatory stress hormones into the body, those changes in those genes create changes that leave the stress response on high, and we know that this cocktail of hormones and chemicals that are associated with a stress reaction, we know that they lead to physical and neuroinflammation, inflammation in the body and brain. And we know that inflammation in the body and brain leads to disease. Mm hmm,
1: mm hmm. True. Is there a way to reverse it as an adult?
2: Well, um, one of the terrific things is that we are at a time, and honestly, I wouldn't have written this book if I only had bad news for people. you know it's pretty overwhelming to consider that hey um if you mm-hmm. suffer these categories of early adversity, some of which are quite common, and we should go over what they are um then you know, you're more likely to suffer from different range of diseases in adulthood. That's just not really how I want to leave the reader if I'm interested in helping people <laughs> exactly, to heal. So, yes, the great news is just as this science has become pretty incredible linking – different types of adversity to changes in the developing child's body and brain that lead to disease in adulthood, so is the science on how we can reverse that process. And the great news is that the brain and body are always in process. The changes that occur in the developing body and brain as a result of experiencing early chronic stressors they cause changes to the connections between different parts of the brain that we really need to react and function well to the world around us. But Uh there is is a range. There are so many promising brain-body practices that it turns out, as neuroscientists look into this in the lab, it turns out that these are reversing that process and that damage. So for instance, mindfulness meditation, neurofeedback, EMDR therapy, exercise, yoga, mindfulness-based stress reduction courses, writing to heal, somatic exercises, these are all fields of therapy which are showing that we can downshift this inflammatory response And in some cases, as with meditation, we can actually see the gray matter in the brain that has been damaged by this chronic stress. We can see that those areas of the brain start to come back online.
1: What wonderful news.
2: It's very exciting.
1: Oh, my gosh. Why are some children more immune to stress than others though? Is it does it still go along the same lines that we were talking about or is there something well, more to it?
2: Well, so what's interesting is that all categories of adverse childhood experiences have an equal likelihood of raising one's risk of illness in adulthood. And those categories include, just so we can go over them with your reader, Um, having lived with an adult who insulted you, humiliated you, uh, swore at you, having lived with an adult who um, pushed or grabbed or slapped you or hit you, having lived with an adult who touched your body sexually, um, or often or very often feeling that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or that your family didn't look out for each other or feel close to each other, and also um, being neglected physically so that you didn't have enough to eat, you had to wear dirty clothes, there was no one to protect you, or having parents who were um, alcoholics or too drunk or high to take care Mm -hmm. of you, or having parents who didn't take you to the doctor when you needed it. Um, Very common areas included having a parent who was lost you through divorce or abandonment or another reason such as death, or witnessing someone in the home being pushed, grabbed, or slapped, you know, watching your mother be mistreated. Also, living with someone who had an addiction to drugs, living Hmm. with a household member who suffered from depression or was mentally ill or who attempted suicide, and also living with someone who um, went to prison. We also know that living with childhood poverty, living with community violence, and being bullied and hazed as a child are also categories of early childhood adversity.
1: Oh,
2: So so why would some children emerge from having faced some of these different types of adversity more unscathed than others? Well, part of the answer lies deep in our genetic code. So some children, have a genetic makeup that we refer to as the orchid personality. They have a set of genes known as 5-HTTP-1, 5-HTTP-1, that allow their brain and body to be more molded by their environment. So these kids are more likely, if they experience these types of adversity, to grow up having more depression, autoimmune disease, heart disease, cancer, because they're much more molded by the environment they live in. Other kids who have a gene allele of 5-HTTP that we call the dandelion gene, they're pretty tough. They can handle a lot of adversity, and it's water off the proverbial duck's back. They do okay pretty much no matter what you throw at them. Of course, enough adversity, and they, too, will be negatively shaped by that. So part of it is our genetics. But there's another factor that's absolutely essential to understand, and that is that the most protective factor for kids who are growing up with adversity is having one consistent, reliable, loving adult to whom they can turn no matter what And that seems to ameliorate many of the effects of these chronic, unpredictable, toxic stressors that can lead to a greater likelihood of illness in adulthood.
1: That's good news.
2: Absolutely.
1: In your research, uh, would you uh, find that some parents would benefit from having their children tested to see if there were a 5-HPT1 or or had the dandelion oh, no. gene?
2: No, no, okay. no, what I, no. What I would recommend for people instead is that we all engage in managing our own stuff from our own childhood because good parents make good kids. And the most mm-hmm. important thing for kids, is that their parents have managed their own stuff. Otherwise, what happens is that parents who are caught in tough parenting situations and had tough childhoods overreact or underreact to what's happening with their children. It's really hard if you didn't have good, reliable parenting to know how to be a great parent. And so the most important thing that parents can do is ask themselves, you know, have I really dealt with my own stuff? So that they can be consistent and reliable for their own children. And there are many different ways in which we can parent for resiliency and try to make sure that we're parenting kids who will be resilient Because life is stressful. Stressful things will happen. Parents divorce. People get sick. Stuff happens. And so we really want a parent for resiliency. But the very first step to doing that is managing one's own stuff so that we can be appropriate in our responses to our children.
1: And in managing your own stuff, have you come up with recommendations
2: for that? Sure. You know, I have a whole chapter devoted Great. to parenting <laughs> mindfully. Wonderful. And yeah, so I'm really um, big on that. I think that that's just so important that we help parents to move mm-hmm. away from their own stuff. And, you know, some of the tips I include are really uh, um you know, of course, we don't want to confuse chronic, unpredictable, toxic stress with childhood challenges that foster resilience. So this isn't to say that we want to run into every situation with our kids and make all their problems go away. Kids need a little bit of failure. They need a little bit of resilience. And so we have to distinguish between chronic childhood stressors that are toxic and those that aren't. So for instance, you know our kid may not make the soccer team, and they'll have to mm-hmm. they'll have to deal with that, but if they're living with a parent who's chronically depressed or putting them down or humiliating them or there's any kind of abuse in the home or all of those categories we just mentioned, those are unacceptable, and we need to help ourselves to be the parent we want to be, and we need to get our child the help that they Deserve. So a big thing is understanding the difference between toxic stress mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the kind of stress that's what we call normative stress. We also want to be really careful that we're seeing our children for who they are, that we're making sure they feel safe and soothed and secure, and I give lots of tips on how to do that. One of the most important things we can do is, you know, if we lose it with our kids, which parents do, we want to make sure to step in and and apologize right away and, and let them know, hey, I made a mistake. You know, that was about me. I Something was triggered for me from my own childhood, and I took it out on you, and that was wrong, and I'm sorry.
1: I was at a gas station earlier today, and there was a, a gentleman with a child, probably seven or eight years old, and they both had their bicycles. And... The adult was just ranting and raving and screaming at this child, and it was so disruptive to me yeah, of course. as a bystander. And I kept thinking to myself after reading your book, oh, my gosh, what would going be the repercussions for this child as an adult because he was berating the child and trying to control the child, and it was, oh, it was so awful. It was just awful. Yeah.
2: And it's particularly hard to witness that if we live through any of that ourselves. So
1: mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. you
2: know, hits us harder. Um so, you know, that is a really important part of this is raising the next generation for resiliency and looking at this information and using it so that we can um break these intergenerational um patterns of trauma. So many people I interviewed for this book, they felt that this this emotional trauma in their own home growing up had started many generations before them.
1: Oh, I've, yes, yes. That's so true. It just perpetuates itself. And a lot of times it's subconscious.
2: Of course. Of course.
1: Well, what I really um Enjoy about your book, Childhood Disrupted. Listeners, if you're just joining in with us, we're talking with Donna Jackson Nakazawa, and um, we're talking about how your biography becomes your biology and how you can heal not only yourself as an adult, but guide your children in a positive way for their futures. You come up with some real solutions to some pretty big issues in your book
2: hope so.
1: <laughs> mhm, mhm. What advice would you give someone who experienced a childhood trauma and now they're looking to begin on their own healing journey? Um, I mean, you could do some meditation or perhaps get counseling. Um, what are some other ways?
2: Well, um I devoted actually almost half the book a healing plan for readers, so that they can start okay. where they are and, and wherever they are. And one of the first things that I start with is taking a survey and discuss it with a healthcare practitioner. Discuss it with your mm-hmm. doctor or therapist or someone you trust, so that you can f- have a conversation in which you feel that someone is listening to your story. And they're accepting you for who you are. And when patients do that, studies show that it begins to help them feel better about their own story and that it sort of starts a little bit of a healing wave in which they feel as if, okay, look, I have been swimming against this impossible tide for a very long time. And... Mm -hmm things haven't felt quite right. I've always been a little too stressed. I have too many chronic conditions or more than I want. And something just hasn't felt right. And often when people come across this research, they experience this huge aha, the pieces begin to fall into place. And so having that discussion with a healthcare professional has actually been Uh shown in studies to lead to fewer doctor visits down the road, because once we begin to understand all the different things multifactorially that go into illness, we also begin to understand that there are more things we can do in order to heal. So I really recommend that. I also recommend that people take the resiliency survey that I have in my book so that they can figure out, well, what are all the factors in my home that helped me to be more resilient. Um, and then there are a host of different practices, as we mentioned before, that can help people, such as writing to heal. Writing your story out has been tremendously powerful, and the research really supports that it's very powerful when people tell their entire story. Um, An addition, using drawing and art therapy with a professional has been very powerful for many people I've interviewed. The modality that's been most well studied, including in individuals with trauma, is mindfulness meditation. And as you said earlier, when those who had suffered different types of trauma in childhood and went on to develop chronic illness in adulthood, those adults who took part in an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program showed less anxiety and depression two years after they took their course, and they also showed improvements in their physical symptoms. So meditation may actually help to repopulate the brain with gray matter, and repair those areas in the brain that were harmed by that early chronic toxic stress in the developing brain so that we're able to become less reactive and more at peace in the world around us as adults, which then cascades into less inflammatory stress response to the world around us as adults, which translates into less physical and mental health symptoms.
1: Wow, that's pretty amazing stuff. Why, why, Why do you suppose people don't want to accept the idea that perhaps emotional adversities in childhood are a cause of physical illness later in life?
2: Well, the science is pretty simple. We know that stress causes changes in the developing body and brain that cause more inflammation, and we know that inflammation causes disease. So the science is Mm -hmm. pretty simple and straightforward. However, it's understandable that we would all resist this information Mm -hmm. because especially for women who often suffer from chronic diseases that are difficult to diagnose and treat, including autoimmune diseases like lupus and MS and rheumatoid arthritis and thyroid disease. And chronic pain, Um, it Mm. makes sense that we, or fibromyalgia, that when we hear, oh, you know, your childhood caused this, of course that's way too simplistic to say it that way, as we have explained, (laughs) but it also makes sense that people would say, hey, you know what, that doesn't make me feel good, because I've been trying very hard for a very long time to get doctors and friends and family take my invisible illness seriously. So if you're going to come Mm -hmm. out and say, well, you know what, the stress caused this, stress from your childhood, that can sound very disparaging to people. It can sound as if we're trying to say it's all in your head. And yet nothing could be further than the truth. What we're saying with this research is that these early emotional stressors cause biophysical changes in the architecture of the brain that sets mm-hmm. the stress response mm-hmm. on high, mm-hmm. which causes higher levels of inflammation, mm-hmm. which we know is related to mm-hmm. more onset of adult disease. So what we're saying is that emotional trauma in childhood is physical. In no way mm-hmm. are we saying mm-hmm. that stress it's
1: strictly mental.
2: Exactly. So or that it's all in the mind. We're saying it's in the body.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, So I mm -hmm. think we
2: resist it for that reason, but I also think that physicians resist this research because our medical model is set up so that people Mm -hmm. will go into the physician's office, they have 15 minutes, and the physician will examine them and, you know, uh, take their vital signs and that will be that. Physicians aren't trained in medical schools to ask about emotional trauma. They aren't even educated about the relationship between emotional trauma in childhood and adult disease. So if our physicians aren't prepared to do this, then we have a problem in which we're still creating silos in which medicine is either physical or mental. And, in fact, Mm -hmm. medicine is on the idea that physical medicine, it's called the physical medicines, is is based on the body and that the brain is somehow immune privileged, that um, that what happens in the mind is not connected to what's happening in the body. And as anyone knows who's tried to get holistic care, you either go to a specialist for a physical problem or you go to a mental health specialist for mm-hmm. an emotional
1: problem. That's right.
2: But what right. we're saying is that the two are one, that this brain-body pathway is completely interconnected, and we really need to shake up the way we do healthcare care so that physicians know how to ask about adverse childhood experiences when they go into the, um, the exam room and that they're able to listen with compassion to their patients and help them.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I truly wish that that we could integrate those together in a massive way.
2: Yeah. Now, I have a tiny housekeeping issue. I apologize to your listeners, and that is that for some reason the phone I'm on is about to die. So I'm going to switch you over to okay. another phone, and I apologize for that. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, can hear you okay. quite well. Okay, great. Sorry about that.
1: So is there anything else that you would, you know, advice-wise that you would like to impart to our listeners relative to this
2: well, today? Well, um, I guess, you know, it's so important to me to leave listeners with hope and to say that, you know, the brain and body are always in process and always changing. So, you know, there's so much hope in terms of taking one's history of adverse childhood experiences and and using it as an impetus to intervene in our own health. And I just want to mm-hmm. underscore that even as scientists have learned more about how childhood adversity becomes biologically embedded, they've also learned how we can intervene and reverse the damage of early stress. And Mm -hmm. once you understand that your body and brain have been changed, you can really begin to take these necessary science-based steps and really remove the fingerprints that early adversity has left on your neurobiology. So it's a really hopeful message, Mm -hmm. but the thing is we can't do it if we don't understand that this link exists. If we don't Mm -hmm. understand that emotional trauma becomes physical pain, then we become stuck in a cycle of blaming ourselves for being ill, of blaming ourselves for not being well. And with this understanding, I have seen individuals come to an entirely new layer of healing. And I really wish that for everyone, we can contextualize past trauma in ways that make us even better at dealing with challenges and emerge gracefully so that 's my hope for your listeners is that they're able to take this and turn it into a journey of post traumatic growth and in the process really evince a better self in the process i've seen it happen for so many, and in fact, I would say mm-hmm. that people who have experienced early life trauma and gone through a journey of healing, they really have something very special. They have a compassionate view of themselves and the world, and they're often involved in helping and healing others.
1: That's so true. (laughs) It really is. There's so much truth to that. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us. Uh, Listeners, again, we're talking with Donna jackson Nakazawa, and her book is called Childhood Disrupted, How Your Biography Becomes Your Biology and How You Can Heal. Where can our listeners purchase your book?
2: Everywhere the books are are sold. So um, all booksellers, you know, from Amazon to Barnes and Noble to any independent bookstore that I hope your listeners frequent. If they don't have a copy in stock, I know it did sell out um a few weeks ago, but it's back in print and back in stock. And Wonderful. Um, so it's 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 available everywhere, including on Amazon.
1: Well it's it's an amazing piece of work. I want to personally congratulate you on it and wish you well, and we'll look forward to some more writings from Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Thanks for joining us.
2: Denise, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Well, listeners, that's our show for today. Incredible information. Um, If you tuned in in the middle of it, You have the opportunity to listen to the entire broadcast through iTunes or on our site here at Blog Talk Radio, Health Media Now Radio. And um, please join us next week. We're having a fabulous guest, Dr. Epstein. We're going to be discussing the newest and the best treatment for dry eye. Until then, take care and be well. Bye-bye.
0: We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at KnowledgeWorksPub.com. Be sure to visit GotCancerNowWhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer Now What.